Good morning, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Hope Podcast. Hope comes from hearing other people's experiences. Today, we're blessed to be joined by my friend Christopher St. Hilaire, who dropped out of high school at the age of 16 to play video games and eat fast food before going through a uh, transformational period of his life and uh, taking steps to improve it. This episode of the Hope Podcast is brought to us by the Spotlight Project. Uh, The Spotlight Project is a fantastic organization run by fantastic people with the mission of raising employment for individuals with intellectual or developmental disabilities. They create and sell beautiful jewelry and each individual they employ uh, has an intellectual or developmental disability and a unique story to tell. You can visit them at the Spotlight projectco.com again the spotlight projectco.com use the coupon code hope h-o-p-e again use the coupon code hope for 15 percent off your order there was a great article written about chris in the charlotte observer which is how um you know i kind of found him and got connected with him but he he dropped out of high school at uh, age 16 because um you know not because he wasn't intelligent because he didn't feel like the curriculum served him he felt um, like he could do more with his life. And with that, we'll turn it over to Christopher to tell his story. Thanks again for joining us today, and I really hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. My name is Christopher St. Clair, and um, I, I guess where I would begin is I was born in Manhattan, New York, um, and around the year 2000, I kind of moved, made my move down here to Charlotte, North Carolina, kind of involuntarily so, because my parents were coming down here for economic opportunities. Um, and I think, you know, the rest of the story kind of is immersed within the Charlotte world and the Charlotte North Carolina world. And, um, yeah, that's kind of who I am. How old were you when you moved down to North Carolina? And, and what was it like um, growing up down there? What kind of neighborhood did you live in? What was kind of the atmosphere and culture around you? Right. So when I initially, um, initially I will, at first I came down here and I was five years old. I mean, then Charlotte has truly kind of found its way of, you know, found itself making it. Um, very hospitable, very welcoming, and you know, a part of my a part of my identity. Um, and I, I kind of grew into appreciating the more um, the more relaxed and laid back lifestyle of Charlotte, North Carolina versus um, New York City. Um, I was always kind of a I was always kind of a socially awkward kid mm-hmm. um, or a bit of a loner, and I never made a lot of friends. Um, perhaps in part for a number of reasons, I would say I was a hefty kid. I was a very corpulent kid, like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I loved, I, I mean, everything you can imagine. I, I love Twinkies, donuts, and so, you know, me being really overweight and me being socially awkward and me liking, like, me being a huge, me having a huge affinity for, um, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! and anime and stuff like that, there just wasn't a lot of, a lot of kids in that environment that shared those interests, particularly at that age. I found one or two other, like, you know, awkward kids and we kind of glued to each other, um, and that kind of helped sustain my social life that in elementary school in particular. Another, I think another component that would be, that would be a miss not to mention was, was that I was an avid reader. And I mean, still to this day, I consider myself a bibliophile. Um, back then I used to participate in the accelerated reading program and uh, there used to be a cash prize doled out to, um, to the top three students with the highest AR scores. Um, and I never got first place, but I always would get second or third place throughout, in, um, throughout my entire school. I remember one of those nights, I was kind of just glued to one of the Harry Potter books. I don't know which one. I want to say the third, um, the third installment. Yeah. Third. Um, and I was glued to it, and I just, 
you know, I was just thinking, man, I really enjoy reading. Like, I just really, and I really enjoy escaping reality um, in that sense. And I think maybe, I think in part that's because, you know, my real world wasn't, my real world, I didn't appreciate my real world, and it almost, and I felt as if my real world didn't appreciate me. And so these forms of escapist avenues kind of served as a way for me to become powerful. And when I was a part of Harry Potter's world, I felt a part of Harry Potter's world. Like I felt as an, I felt as a wizard. I felt his strength. And so I, I wanted to kind of replicate and emulate that um, that simulation all the time. And I figured that I figured out the medium to do that was to reading. Um, so that's kind of how, that you know where that kind of um, elucidates my like my appreciation for reading. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can relate to that. I'm a huge uh, fan of the Harry Potter books. Uh, not as not as big of a reader as it sounds like you were, but I used to listen to them on on tape every night, uh, and it was just kind of my escape from whatever was going on. And I uh, felt like I was I was in a different different world, and my, my problems weren't around. Right, and I think you know, in retrospect, too, I really I really think there's something there. Like there's something really really significant there because it's not just I mean it, there could be like intellectual pursuits like reading let's say mm-hmm. right an intellectual hobby like that where people can find escape but people can find escape in a variety of different mediums like video games for instance and that also played a part in my story too mm-hmm. especially after I, I dropped out of high school it was just another it was a form of it was it was healthy up until up until a point it certainly began serving as distraction mm-hmm. right it, it began kind of shifting my focus from the real world and my whole world became inward and, it, and I utilized that as a way to say, oh, the real world isn't important. And that was a mistake. But I think, you know, if it's healthy, like you have a healthy relationship to these escapist avenues, I think I think it can serve, very, it serve you very, very well. And reading definitely was, you know, was a principal thing when I was a kid. Like that was the thing, because I was bullied a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. I was bullied mostly for my way. And when I, when I read books, I felt strong. I felt like I mattered, if that makes sense. That makes total um, sense. But yeah, I mean... Um, so just, I guess, moving a little bit more forward towards um, um, high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the same trends, the same trends and themes kind of continued. Um, again, I was still socially awkward. I, I wouldn't even say socially awkward. I was just kind of socially inept. Like I didn't understand. I didn't understand interpersonal connection. Mm-hmm. Right? I didn't understand how people went ar- went about their day. Kind of, you know, having these random routes of conversation and dialogue. I didn't understand how that worked. And, I remember, I, I remember vividly kind of like sitting one time in the cafeteria uh, in a corner, as usual, and just kind of observing like, you know, random kids who knew each other, um, but would come into the cafeteria, and they would tap each other up, and then they would engage in 5, 10, 15 minute conversations with one person, and then the same thing would happen with another person, and another person, and another person, and I didn't understand why and how. Um, and did, did you kind of but, feel uh, feel like anxiety about that? One, one thing that always sticks out in my mind is when I was walking by someone in the hallway, and it was kind of someone I knew as friends with, I just never knew what to say to them. So I would just like, pretend to look down or be on my phone. The anxiety, you could feel it coursing through your veins. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, on, and, if I'm, and if I'm being frank, I still feel that form of anxiety mm-hmm. today. Like, so, I'm, so I'm an overthinker. I'm in my head a lot. And sometimes I'm – and I, I suspect this is for a lot of people. Like, I – I spent a great deal of time, sometimes more often than not, like thinking about what I'm going to say than actually saying anything at all. Oh, yeah. And if I can't, and if I can't piece together something coherent, um, then I don't say anything, you know, or something that I don't, something I think um, won't kind of leave an impression or won't think, make this person think I'm cool in some way, right? If I can't think of it, then I won't say anything at all. And I will do as you just said, right? Like 
um, as you did. Like I would, I would have my, well, I would have, I had an iPod Touch. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a phone until much later on. But I had an iPod Touch, and I would look into my iPod Touch mm-hmm. and not look at anybody walking through the halls, like, and just kind of be that person and kind of embody this loner archetype. It was, it was almost a self fulfilling prophecy because I told myself, okay, I'm a loner, and I never proactively attempted to break that. Now, and looking back in my life, I, I kind of realize, you know, the stories I was telling myself back then, realize that those were all fake thoughts. And I just love, uh, you know, if hearing it from someone, um, from anyone, but especially someone who's as, as, as intelligent and um, as you are. I mean, and, I mean, to your point, too, uh, it's just, I feel like, again, like there's such a lot of social stratification, like, during middle and high school, like, obviously in high school, right, mm-hmm. where it's a little bit more apparent, right? And it's everyone's kind of trying. I know I, I was, and still at some, and still I feel at some time, at some times that I am still, right, I'm preoccupied with kind of finding my place, right, in that social hierarchy and trying my best to, you know, traverse upward that social hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. And I still find myself doing that to this day. And hopefully I can find ways to rectify that. But back then, it's so, you know, it's so overwhelming. It's so burdensome because everyone is thinking about that. And everyone is, a lot of people are like in the back of their mind thinking, oh, what if I say the wrong thing? Or what if I do the wrong thing? And for me, that, for me, it, it was paralyzing. It made, it, it kind of pushed me towards inaction. Um, and, and even though like I started, and at that point I had lost a decent amount of weight too. So some of my insecurities, related to my weight and, you know, related to my weight and just related to my interests were starting to kind of wane, but they were still there. Mm-hmm. You know, I still thought, I still, I still thought maybe um, I wasn't good enough or that maybe I deserved to be invisible. Right. And that's, it's such a common feeling, um, you know, it's something powerful uh, about the, the social hierarchy. Hours, I think that's but... just how, how humans uh, compare uh, themselves to, to everyone around them. And it, it goes so far mm-hmm. back in evolutionary biology and, um, you know, it's so exacerbated in, in our generation because of, of social media and, and constantly comparing yourself to everyone you see all day. And it is, uh, you know, you said it perfectly, it's, it's emotionally tiring and it's mentally tiring. You get the, to the point of just inaction. Like, I'd rather not even be on the hierarchy. I'd rather not even participate in, in society. I'd rather just uh, remove myself. Right. Um, and, I, and again, that resonates with me a great deal because... For me, though, okay, it's a very murky relationship. But video games, as I said, played like as played as my medium mm-hmm. for escaping, and I think that, in conjunction with the fact that I, you know, I, I, I like to think of myself that I have a high, I have a high level of individuality, and be, and I think that emerged as a consequence of not ever being able to fit in, mm-hmm. um, and because of that, the, and with those two things working in combination, I, I think, I think that, that was the two things, the part of the the two pieces of the equation that said, okay, you know, I'm going to drop out of high school. Um, because I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to expand my autonomy, right? And for and for the wrong reasons, right? I wanted to expand my autonomy to play video games, eat fast food, and stay up till two, three, four, five in the morning. Sometimes um, I wanted that freedom, and I wanted to remove myself from the burden of a curriculum that um, that I didn't identify with, right? That I didn't identify with, and also I wasn't excelling at. I wasn't by by no stretch of the imagination. I was a straight A student. I wasn't even a straight B student. Like, I had, I had C's, I had D's, and I, ha- I suspect I have some S in my high school transcript for that one year that I did stay. Um, so, you know, a petulant decision all around, but definitely me leaving high school was to find, to expand my level of autonomy and um, to kind of really express my individuality. Again, not in the healthiest ways, and really just to play video games and to eat that food 
all day, every single day. Um, I drew, I should, I should mention too that I, I, I always had an affinity for drawing. It was always, like kind of a, a young age. Like the, the thing that got me into that is that um, I used to watch this anime called Dragon Ball Z, which I'm sure everyone's heard of. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and to, like I used to draw, and I used to draw that all the time, and that kind of what sparked an interest in drawing, particularly obviously the Japanese, the Japanese style mm-hmm. of art. And I kind of, you know, I'm, I've been, I actually very recently broke away from the Japanese style of art, but still that has played a very important role because I used to just that would be another avenue in which I would kind of like, you know, express myself um, unmitigatingly and just kind of put onto paper the things that I wanted to put on the paper. I would draw landscapes and have like my, my Japanese character, my Japanese anime characters, if you will, like in those, in that space and imagine myself as those characters. Um, so I think there was this longing for freedom in that sense too, but definitely. And and I'll have those escapes from society and some are definitely healthier uh, than others. And uh, I'm sure those talents serve you well today. Right. And I, I mean, again, like, to kind of that, I think that's a great segue too for kind of like after I dropped out of high school and after that, you know, you that six about five six month period when I kind of you know was sick of the monotony and sick of just kind of not doing anything, almost wasting away, if you will. Mm-hmm. When I started, you know, I got my first laptop and I started doing all of this. How would you say this unofficial research? Right. Mm-hmm. I very much I very much identify with the term autodidact because I mean, in those years, that five year period before I even started going back to school or started doing anything, um, that was what I was. You know, I, I really kind of crafted my own curriculum and I kind of studied what I wanted to what I wanted to learn. And one of the first one of the one I think I think one of the first important books that I read after that period was this book by um, this book by the um, late sociologist Irving Goffman, mm-hmm. um, the presentation of the self in everyday life. That, so that book essentially, to summarize kind of um, loosely and roughly, like that book talks about social interaction, right, interpersonal connect, communication between other people, um, and those how how there's kind of a form of drama or a form of theatrics to that, mm-hmm. right? We all kind of put on masks when we talk to people. And you know we're kind of um, and we're kind of fitting we're kind of fitting a mold and we we have an agenda when we speak to people the, the agenda can be the agenda can be uh, the agenda can be re- uh, re- um, reciprocal meaning it kind of like benefits both parties it can be self-serving but usually he says are we have we have a few principal desires one of those desires is to kind of you know convey our coolest selves which I, I really I really really like that line mm-hmm. um, but my my thing is then well it's like okay so I don't know anything about people, right? Because I was socially enough for most of my life. After reading that book, and then also reading another book um, called uh, Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards, like those two books helped me kind of go out, kind of get out of my shell, and I started, and people knew me back then would tell you, um, I would go uptown and like ask random people um, this weird question, like, okay, what makes you different than everybody else? And then I would, and then I would draw them, like I would ask to draw them, and a lot. Of, I, I definitely got some strange looks when I, I used to do that until I showed them my artwork, and they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, this isn't weird." But I would ask to draw them, and I think the reason why, like, I think the reasons why I do that is because I'm looking for some. I'm looking for authenticity, authentic expression, just because I, just because you know, I'm. I don't first. I don't know how to play the game. Let's say, like this, this thing, this game of communication, mm-hmm. um, and. I think I'm, I'm just kind of searching for something deeper in that sense, but um, that was kind of something that helped preoccupy my time. Like that was the beginning. Like after I stopped, like I started really honing on drawing, like honing on my skill to draw because that was a, that was an, for me that was an apparent skill that I had. Um, really honing in on this skill, and to start with those two books, 
And then another book was um, this book by Ernest Becker, um, The Denial of Death. And that book kind of talks about some of the concerns we as a species have with the notion, have with the, have with the awareness that comes with have, having the awareness of our own mortality. Mm-hmm. So we have, right, so the, some of the concerns that deal with that. And I, after I read that book, I just had a burning desire, let's say, to consume information, to kind of learn as much as possible. So I was just trying to figure out how to connect with people. And, um, and, and that's really what, what kind of got me passionate about it, about human connection and the power that has over our, our lives and, and our happiness, which is really what our company is about. So uh, I love that story, you know, the kind of mass part. Whenever you have a conversation with someone, uh, you kind of decide what mask you're going to put on. Authenticity is, is the most valuable thing in the world. I think anytime you're in an authentic conversation with someone, you feel really good afterwards. And um, I think it's a goal for all of us to strive for, to be our authentic selves at all time, regardless of what others may or may not think of us. And I just, I mean, that's well, very well said because I, you know, I think too, like with the fact that reason, like for me, that was a principal desire, right? As I said, like I, I wanted to understand it, you know? I mean, a part of it was kind of, okay, let me puzzle this, this, this part of the world together, right? Because I don't, I just, that's all I want to do now. I just want to understand the way the world works. And this is an incredibly significant part of the world. So I wanted to puzzle that together, but also because that, as you said, that makes, that, that's the avenue to engender happiness, right? Social interaction, interaction, social connection, people connection. And I wanted, I wanted to have authentic connections with people because I knew that would make life world worthwhile, let's say. Um, ignited my flame, let's say, to kind of like do something. Now, like, like instead of just pasting up, you know, um, man, I, I wish I took a picture of that time, but pasting up pieces of paper all over my, all over my room with, you know, different facts and, um, and tidbits and information and definitions from a variety of different disciplines. I, I, so I, I needed to find some way to employ it, you know? Mm-hmm. So find some way to go out into the world and utilize it for the good. And that desire came from watch, like from watching this movie called um, Limitless. Um, and then um, from art, from these two pieces of art. And I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't really look at artwork, like old artwork until then. And the two pieces of art that I really, that really kind of did this for me was one by Casper David Frederick, um, The Wander Above the Sea of Fog, which is this really famous romantic painting from the Romanticist era. Um, and then the other one is a Baroque painting by Peter Paul Rubens, St. George and the Dragon, um, which, I mean, if I can disclose this, which is what I wrote my um, my Princeton, my personal Princeton, um, personal statement essay about for Princeton. Mm-hmm. Um, so that those two pieces of artwork were definitely very, very important. And then the movie Limitless, minus the drugs, um, the movie <laughs> Limitless kind of, you know, really just showed me that, okay, if you're smart enough, right, you can do something, like, I remember I was obsessed with that movie. If you look at Eddie Moore, right, he's in his own little abyss, right? And he's stuck in the darkness, right, in the beginning. He's just, you know, he's this bum, he's this bum, essentially. He's a deadbeat writer. His girlfriend leaves him, and all of these things, right? He, he's, as, he's as bottom as you can be, right? And he kind of squanders every single day watching Bruce Lee movies and eating pizza. Um, and then all of a sudden, I mean, you know, he takes a shrug and then he becomes like this incredible version of himself. Right. My, again, as I said, emphasis, minus the drugs, like I wanted to kind of facilitate that transformation, right, somehow in my in my own world, right? Because I recognized that, okay, well, you know, I'm kind of, I said, I'm smart enough to figure some stuff out, like, you know, and I just didn't know what to do, and I wanted to go from the abyss to kind of, you know, transforming my everyday life, if that makes sense. Ab- um, absolutely. And, um, you know, if you wouldn't mind talking about kind of your parents, kind of your relationship with them, or any siblings you have, and 
um, you know, how they felt about you dropping out of school and how, how that relationship went. Right. Um, so I think the thing about my the thing about my immediate family, and when I say immediate, I mean my I have a younger sibling uh, who we call who we who we kind of we say is my Irish twin because we're eleven months apart, mm-hmm. and then and then I have my mom and my dad. Um, and the thing about my immediate family is that we all have this one thing very much in common is that we're very introverted. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very we're very much reserved and we're very private. And and when I say private, I mean private with each other individually than say as a family unit. Um, but with that being said, like when, when I dropped out of, when I first dropped out of high school and then my brother, my brother did a few months later, um, this, that was the absolute topic of conversation for our family, right? It kind of, our family was submersed within that conversation. Um, and my father in particular, um, was particularly resentful about it. It was kind of a very similar, um, kid in the island of Dominica. He was socially awkward and he didn't have a lot of friends and stuff like that. But all he knew was that he wanted to make, he wanted to make something of himself. Right, and that kind of um, that kind of compelled him to come to the states, right? And his principal desire was to make something of himself, but to also make sure that if he has a family, though that the name that our name would be kind of etched in history, and and you know, it on any level, but small or large doesn't matter. Like it would be, in, we would have established ourselves here, and we have done good here, right? And so the prospect, you know, the, the prospect of me dropping out. And, and what that entailed, you know, absolutely devastated him. And without him kind of expressing that, because he's a very unemotional and stoic person, mm-hmm. but, you know, it devastated him. My mother, on the other hand, um, is, you know, she's very, in this sense, very typical, um, very, very maternal, very overprotective, you know, very concerned for our well-being first, and let's say what, do you, what the future may hold. And her immediate reaction was, um, was, her immediate reaction was disappointment, but not even a few minutes later. Like, oh, well, it's this rationale that said, well, my kids are safe. I know where they're going to be 24-7, let's say. You know, they're going to be in the house. I keep an eye on them. Mm-hmm. And that was her, that was her kind of, that was kind of her rationalizing. But my father was deeply resentful about it. Mm-hmm. Um, not until very, very recently when I even, back in 2018 when I started um, attending um, Central Piedmont. But he was very deeply resentful. Because he, 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 and just, there were social implications for it. Like, there were social implications for it within our family alone within the context of our family, but, you know, just kind of external that, like, what our future, what was going to craft and mold our future, right? Was it destitution? Was it, you know, po- was it poverty? Whatever, whatever it was, that's what he kind of associated with, you know, dropping out of high school because of this prevailing negative stigma that, that is associated, not just, with, um, not just with dropping out of high school, obviously, but also even with community college students. You know, when, when someone kind of decides to do something different, something that's not a societal norm, on one hand, um, you know, there's, there's kind of like a status, you know, what are people going to think about me from, from the parents? And then, um, you know, a lot of times from the mother as well, it's, it's just a fear of the unknown, you know, there's, there's so much power in, in just believing in, uh, in people and, and to figure it out for themselves. And uh, not, everyone's, not everyone's path is, is the same. And so I kind of commend you um, greatly for, for following your own path, even in, in spite of the fact that it was not what your parents necessarily wanted for you. I mean, my parents in particular, you know, they come from, they come from two smaller Caribbean islands. So there's, this, there's a culture of industriousness. There's a culture of obedience, let's say. And that's, that has its pros and its cons, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the things about it was, and this is, this is something that, con- this, I mean, even thinking about my father, now, this is something that comes up in conversation all the time, is that my father believes deeply that if you work hard, you can attain anything you want. And so for him, you know, us dropping out of high school was us kind of breaking this, let's say this cultural oath, 
you know, that, okay, well, we're choosing to be, we're choosing to be lazy, we're choosing the easier path, right? And so that's, I think that also helped kind of cultivate it, this is disappointment. Um, because he knew in his mind that you're going to have, you have to make those hard sacrifices in order to, in order to obtain anything, right? Because life is hard, like nothing about life is easy. And if you want to, if you want to succeed in life, right, you need, you need to take the harder path because anything, anything of anything worth any value, any real value is going to be pursued by many people. So you want to make sure that if you're going to be in competition with those people or not even just that, it can be something that's not pursued by a lot of people, but you need to work hard towards it. It's going to be a, a goal has to be something that challenges you in some way. And my father just thought that, well, if you're going to drop out of high school and you're going to play video games and you're just going to eat fast food, then you're going to turn into this thing, right? Into this, into this lesser version of yourself, not without him saying so many words, but into this lesser version of, this, of yourself of what you could potentially become if you started to kind of order, if you kind of put into order your life, right? And I mean, he was right about that, you know what I mean? Absolutely, like he was right about that because I mean, now in retrospect, just thinking about the way I think, the way I view the world, you know, and you talk, and I, and I want to touch on this too because you talked about the young man, like the way I view the world is like this field of possibility, right? And it's like we, you can look, and this is the reason why I'm obsessed with mountains. Um, and it, you can look at you can look at a, a vast landscape and be exposed to two things. One, how vast the landscape is, right? Wow, this how powerful that is, right? So you feel very insignificant in confrontation with that. But also that you know, well, at the same time, you can look at that vast landscape and without being so crude, you could erect skyscrapers, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the capacity for there's the capacity for transformation in the unknown. Right? in the chaos, let's say, and that's that's the thing that, like, man, that's the thing that pushes, that's the thing that wakes me up every day. That's, like, uh, and and your dad sounds like a really, really intelligent guy, and, um, you know, the, the biggest thing I always say, and, and you know, I, I we look at life very similarly, our parents did, that generation um, did the best they could with the information they have, with their beliefs, and, um, you know, what, what people don't talk about enough is we entered a new world um, with the internet, with um, seeing things constantly, you know, we're constantly on our phones, getting information um, constantly, there's so much data, we're constantly, you know, comparing ourselves with others. We're constantly, you know, if you, if you have a girlfriend, you're texting her every second of every day. And, and it's just a new world and they lived in. And um, we need to, you know, speak with them, he, let them hear our, our experiences. experiences. Uh, and, and, you know, I think they'll start to realize that it's just a different world. It's not that they're wrong. It's just that it's different. It's a different world. And, um, and, and you know, today, right, if I think if you find what you're passionate about, um, if you find what you're passionate about, it's really easy to work really hard at it and become successful whatever your metric of success is um and uh and absolutely nothing comes easy in life uh life is difficult and and the hardest workers will always will always come out on top as as they should um but you know in my opinion it's it's very easy to work hard when you're passionate about what you're working hard about and so that's my biggest goal one of my biggest goals is is to kind of help people because so many people feel pressure from their parents to do things the way they want them to do it the way that their parents think society wants them to do it. And um, it causes a lot of confusion, a lot of angst. Absolutely agree. I mean, I couldn't, I mean, I just think, you know, it's when you follow, as you said, when you follow your passion, right, and you work hard at it, it that comes easy, right? Because there's nothing, it's nothing, I mean, it comes easy to, it comes easy to an extent, right? You're motivated to accomplish it, right? Exactly. Um, the content isn't easy, but you're motivated to, to accomplish it. And I think, you know, after kind of immersing myself in artwork and 
and just kind of other, and then starting to really get into philosophy, right? Because Limitless kind of pushed me to philosophy to kind of figure out, well, philosophically, how can I, how can I buttress my motivation so it doesn't wane? Um, and really reading the works, particularly of Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, so, like, Nietzsche and art is what kind of continually propels me to kind of wake up in the morning and accomplish the thing that I know to accomplish. I mean, Nietzsche says, and I could, I'm going to paraphrase here, and maybe you could butcher it, but Nietzsche says that a man can bear any how if he has why, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's very true. Like, I mean, and it, it doesn't matter. Like, you can go through absolute torture, right, as long as your why is stronger, whatever your why is. Victor Frankl. So it's the exact same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's and it's true. And, and Nietzsche, um, you know, one one of the people I I love I love to read because uh, I think he really had a great a great outlook on on uh, human beings. And uh, you know, a lot, a lot of his ideas are um, powerful to this day. To read about, you know, where did the ideas of good and bad come from? Who decided what was good and bad? And and why, you know, especially with judgment, you know, why do we kind of everyone has a different good and bad? How, how in the world could you possibly judge other people? for not living by your right and wrong. Of course, there are things that are objectively wrong for everyone, or they should be, but, right. but for the most part, everyone's line is somewhere different. Right, and I kind of want to touch on this too. This is kind of, emer- this obviously is kind of like a tangent related to Nietzsche, but you know, Nietzsche talked about, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, Nietzsche talked about nihilism a lot. Mm-hmm. He talked about the loss of meaning. And I think there is a pandemic, right, of nihilism. Not not overt nihilism, in the say that you don't think life has any meaning or anything like that, but a very subtle um, meaninglessness, right? Some people are lost in emotion. And I see it, I, mean, I saw it all the time at Central Piedmont. You know, you have, there's a few people, out, I, mean, uh, I mean, just um, irrefutably, there are a few people at CP who are very, very motivated are very, very singular, right? They know exactly why they're there and they know exactly what they want. But there's also a lot of people, and nothing's wrong with this, there's also a lot of people who don't know why they're going to school. And and again, that's not just that's not an affliction that just kind of affects Central Piedmont, but it's an affliction that affects high school and even middle school. Like you the people who think, Why am I going to school? What's what's the point? You know? Why am I doing it? I don't know I don't and again that's I don't know how to remedy that. Like I and I don't want to put on airs and think that I have some special, you know, special power to help kind of rectify that. But I, I think that's definitely a problem over time. Okay. Yeah, and I, I have, um, I'll okay. say I have no idea how to rectify it either. Uh, my this, my solution is is just to have people talk about how they feel about it, and I think the more p- people we hear, mm-hmm. kind of uh, their experiences, the more maybe a picture will unfold on on um, mm-hmm. a way forward that's that's different, and maybe inspire some people right. to live their lives the way that they want to instead of the way that they're told that they should. Right. No. Absolutely. I definitely agree with you. Um, so I think then, I mean, if we can segue into Central Piedmont, when I came to Central Piedmont, um, I definitely had, I had an agenda, let's say, because at that point in my, at that point in my life, I had already met my mentor, um, who was a man um, that I met at the Valentine Country Club, a place where I worked. And, you know, he kind of convinced me, because as you said, like you, you, you said, it's the, it's the narrative you tell yourself. And the narrative I was telling myself up until that point, was I know I could do something. I just, you know, and I needed someone to also believe in me to kind of convince myself. Okay, like he sees something in me, so I must be able to do something. Like I can't, you know, I feel like I'm worthless, right? I must have some kind of value. And he thought I did, and he kind of told me to do X, Y, and Z, and we would meet biweekly, and we would craft a plan, a timeline. And he very, and you know, him being kind of meticulous, you know, he kind of, you know, um, kind of, that kind of trickled on and and, and touched upon me too. 
And so we, we made this detailed timeline about what to do. So when I came to Central Piedmont, I had an agenda. I wanted to be involved. Excuse me. I wanted to be involved. I wanted to, I wanted to maintain a high GPA, right? And I wanted to find other, besides being involved on campus, let's say, I wanted to find some other extracurricular activities that were meaningful. And when I say meaningful, meaningful and personal to me, but also impactful to the community at large. Because um, I knew that if I could do that, I knew if I could do that, right? I would become a whole person, so to speak, because I truly believe that, you know, when a, when a person, when an individual commits themselves to service of some kind, right, you become a whole person in the process. I mean, it's, it's great to be an avid reader or to be an excellent artist or whatever, right? But, you know, I think giving back to your fellow, to your fellow human being is something that I think can't be expressed, always expressed beyond that. Like, you just doing it, you're just kind you're just, I don't know, and this is gonna sound weird, but you're like tilting the world, the whole world, the small actor tilt the whole world towards a better destination, to a good destination versus a bad destination by just doing something good. You know, like, cause you could easily lie or you could easily do something, you could do an easy thing that hurts people, but if you do the hard thing that's good, the whole world, even if, it, even if it's not apparent to everybody, tilts in the right direction. That's such powerful imagery, and I could not agree with you more. It's um, you know, being selfless and helping others because you want them, um, you want their lives to get better. Not tilting the world is the best way I've ever heard it put. Um, but it's it's uh, it's a happiness when you experience it. It's a happiness that's not you know that's that's greater than the quick dopamine rush of of winning a championship or of um, of uh, alcohol or drugs or sex. It's it's a happiness outside of that. It, it's transcendental, and uh, you put it perfectly. Tilting the world that's that's really powerful. And I think I became like, and I wanted, I became obsessed with that. And that, I, I, and I, to be very frank, that came from the denial of death. Because it's like, if I think, and not in my only life, let's say, right? And I think this, right? Then I want, I want to play my part. I want to leave the world a better place than when I, than when I came into it. You know, it's like, why, why not do that? Why do anything else? You know, like, why not? If you can do anything, and if you can have any value as a person, like, why not try to leave the world a better place? Right. I think that, you know, for me, that's my why it's, it's, you know, it took me a while to get there and I definitely struggled with what my why was for a long time. Um, but you know, I always loved helping people and eventually, uh, you know, when I was, especially when I was little, I would always, you know, I loved helping people. I always said, that's what I wanted to do when I grew up somewhere along that, that journey, I definitely lost my way and, um, found, you know, my brain found other things that it was interested in and, and wanted to, you know, kind of climb that, that ladder of, uh, of society and, uh, put myself above other people. But, um, you know, over the past few years, it's, it's really come back. And with this company, it's, it's why not? Um, you know, what else is there? What else is there besides uh, making your little corner of the world a better place and, and tilting it a little bit more towards the positive, uh, especially, you know, right. with our generation seeing, you know, everything we see on, on the news, on Twitter. It's, it's, there's so much negativity. We have to find and create our own positivity. We have to help others. And, and that's the best way to do it. So in the year, so I, I would have to kind of backtrack to the year 2018. Mm -hmm. So in the year 2018, I, I was convinced that I needed to go to this particular spot in Robbinsville, North Carolina. Um, and the name of this place, the name of the spot is the Maple Spring Observation Deck. And from that view, it is said, supposedly, you can see um, three or four different states from that top vantage, from the high point of that vantage point, from that vantage point on top of that mountain. Um, and I, I convinced myself I needed to go there in New Year's Day because it's, right, be the, be the thing that um, ends the chapter on this previous life and be the barometer for my next my next chapter or my next life. 
And so I did that, and I mean, I again, um, this kind of I spoke to it, I spoke to this um, sentiment before, but I was, I, I mean, it's it was like I died standing up there, right? And, I, and then I was reborn. Um, it's just that kind of. It's just when you stand there and you're just looking at the world, just nakedly, and it's staring back at you. I just, I, I can't. It's just, you know, it's ineffable. I, I don't know how to. I, I don't even know how to describe it. But it moved me in a way that I can't. In a way that just still moves me through it. And so what, as soon as I came back home, I was like, okay, I need to do something. I need to do something. I need to do something. And I was at a country club. That was my first thought. And at a country club, you have these people who are well-to-do, who are, you know financially successful, who are well-connected, and um, I thought, well, okay, well, what, what's kind of like, what, what about these people that, I'm, about me, what can me as a high school dropout, who does have a GED at this point, but like, what can I speak to these people do about? And so, I did have an interest, I remember one of the things I was, I used to study in my weird times, like kind of putting things all on my wall, was corporate finance, and Finance was something that was very interesting. Very interesting in the sense that it spoke to our, it spoke to the systems people erect, right? And you know, it spoke to the systems that people erect, and it had it impacted people's lives in a way for good and for bad. But if you do it for good, it can transform the way people actually go about their day to day. And I thought it was a practical avenue, if that makes any sense. So with one individual, I forget his name now, and I spoke to him just randomly conversation while um, I was serving him his food. And, you know, he just told me, oh, man, there's this guy who, you know, he would be perfect for you. Like, he, he's really, and he's always very interested in hearing stories from disadvantaged or disenfranchised African-American, young African-American men, young African-American um, women, too, of course, um, but just disenfranchised people in general. Um, so, and I said, oh, what's his name? And he's like, oh, it's Chris, it's Chris Floyd. And I don't know when he comes to the club, but, you know, if you see it, he's a, he's a slender, he's a slender, older black man. And if you see him, just, you know, you should definitely strike the conversation. And I think at some point, you know, um, I remember I remember asking my GM, asking the GM of the country club, who Chris Floyd, so I, and he had like a profile of him, and I found, I found what he looked like, and I was like, okay, that's what he looked like. Um, and it wouldn't have been, a, it, was a, it was a good minute before I ended up kind of happenstance, just kind of, um, you know, seeing him and meeting him. But I remember seeing him, he was speaking to, he was speaking to a group of friends, and I went up to him, you know, and I just, I just say, hey, I, you know, I'm, inter- I'm interested in going to Chapel Hill. I'm interested in investment banking. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just would like to pick your brain and gain some insight and stuff like that. And, he, you know, we spoke, I think, briefly for like 10, 10 minutes. And after that, he was, he told me, okay, well, you know, let's meet, like, ne- and let's meet next, um, in two weeks. And we'll meet here in the same spot. And we did that. And he told me in retrospect, he told me that, you know, he, he said he didn't want to waste his time. So, that first session, I didn't know it, but that first session, he was essentially kind of get, assessing me, like, okay, is this someone I, I, I is this someone I'm going to invest my time in, mm-hmm. you know? And he and he determined that it was something he did, and so um, after that, for the better part of a year, we would meet every two weeks, kind of just I, I would keep him posted with, like things going on in my life, things related to finance, things related to school, things not related to school, like things regarding girls, things regarding uh, organization, like. Everything, like mm-hmm. literally everything, I would talk to him about. Um, so he was, you know, an absolutely integral piece. He would, you know, some of the advice he gave, I didn't want to hear in the sense that, you know, I wanted to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. But he was right. Like there were some things I needed to listen to, especially one of those things I'm thinking about is patient. Because I was very, very impatient. You know, I thought about my age, I thought about my context in the world, and I thought about this carved pathway that was already kind of predetermined. And I would, and the, and I thought the older I got, the more I deviated from that path. 
right? But that was not the way I needed to think about it. Um, but and so stuff like that, he would absolutely give me you know critical feedback. Honestly, this, this guy Chris Floyd sounds like a great guy, and, and um, you know, uh, someone that that if, if resources and you, you've worked hard in life, you have the resources, and you want to give back. That, that what a fantastic way to do it to, um, you know, at your country club, kind of try and create relationships with, with the people who started out in, in, a, in a worse worse spot than you did, but but still have all the intelligence, all the talent to do great things in the world. And uh, just from talking to you, uh, we spoke once last week, and then and today, and then obviously reading the article, um, you know. Chris Christopher is clearly going to go on to do great things in this world, and um, and what a what a what a benefit having a guy like Chris Floyd to reach out to him and, and help him out, kind of help him towards that path and and help navigate him his way um, through through community college, and then uh, you know if Chris you want to touch on on you know the most recent piece of news that you got and kind of tell that story. Right. Um, so I mean, it's something I don't think I'm ever going to forget, and something I'll definitely be you know consistently reflecting on until the day I died, but uh, May 6, 2020. And I, I remember I told myself weeks before the decision was going to come out that I was going to open that decision on the, I want to say parking deck three at Central Piedmont Community College, because it's the top floor of that parking deck. You get this, you know, fantastical view of the Charlotte skyline. Um, it's a very popular spot too. Um, and so I did two things. For the start of 2020, instead of going to Robbinsville, which is, I, I do that every year, every year's day, I actually went to the parking deck, and it's really, it's really, it's really cheesy, but I, really, I went to the parking deck of Central Piedmont Community College, and I, I just stood there as the, as the clock struck 12, because I knew that this, that was going to be the most pivotal thing that hopefully, ideally, fingers crossed, was going to happen to me that year, at least in the beginning, um, and, you know. I did all of those things, but still at the same vein, not being convinced I was going to get accepted just because of how slim their, their acceptance rate is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the day the day of May 6th, I kept looking, and I remember I had this app on my phone called Dark Sky, and I kept looking at that, at that day, like, you know, I'm not a really superstitious person, but man, like, I just knew that the rain kind of, you know, like, it, it, according to some mythological traditions, the rain is an omen, right? And if it's raining, it usually it usually indicates bad luck and all that stuff. So I was like, oh my God, it's going to rain on May 6th. <laughs> and not only is it going to rain on May 6th, it's going to rain between the hours of 4 and 7. And the decision comes out at 5. And I was just like, it's like, it's like, it's like the world is cursing me. I was so, I was so scared. Like, I was like, oh, this is bad. And I didn't, you know, I just, I didn't, I just was, mm. so anyway, I went up, I, I did that anyway, and, and the great thing too was that when I, when I went up to the, the parking deck, right, the, the view, like the, like the dark clouds kind of had moved off, it's like, this sounds incredibly dramatic, but it, dramatic the clouds kind of moved off, <laughs> the clouds had moved off a little bit, and I could see the skylight, and I knew then too that I was like, this might be good news. Um, and I still have a picture. I remember she, I, I sent the picture to my friends. My, it's still kind of drizzling outside. I took my laptop, put my I put my laptop on the edge, and I took, I went to the website, went to the application website. I tilted the um, the lid down just a little bit, just enough where I couldn't see it, and clicked the status update. And then I looked at the skyline. Open, and then I looked at the skyline and it opened the lid, and then I just ran across the rooftop, just screaming, "Oh my God! I got my Princeton!" Just to, to put it uh, into more perspective, not only did he get accepted to Princeton, which is an unbelievable accomplishment on itself, um, Christopher received a full scholarship. Well, uh, I mean, this year, in, I think this year over 900 people applied and they accepted 12, 13 people, something like that. Well, Again, yeah, didn't think I was going to get in at all. Like, 
like as the article spoke to, and I, I mean, it's very true. I, I had bought so much Chapel Hill gear, like Chapel Hill t-shirts, you know, a pennant, a sticker, decals, everything. Like I was invested as a Tar Heel. Um, I did not think I was going to get in at all. If I may uh, conclude with just one thing. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, my, so if I can, if there's anything I could say, the one thing I would just want people to know is that you, you can craft your own destiny, right? Like really look at the world and, you know, think deeply about it, but think about something challenging, something challenging you want to confront, something heavy, if you will, that you want to lift, right? Something you want to impact, right? And remember that you're always, the, you're the agent of your own transformation, right? Society can't, society cannot Society can't stample upon you so much so that you cannot transform your immediate surroundings. Right? You have that power. So I think that's. I mean, not not not. not I don't want to just say that for community colleges. I want to say that for everybody because I really thought there was nothing else. I mean, there were some really dark days, right? When I those first few those first two years because I wasn't doing anything with my life. I mean, I was reading a lot and getting a lot of information, but I still wasn't doing anything, and I thought there wasn't much hope. But there really is. Some, like, if you re, you have the capacity to transform. Right, you're like everyone. Everyone has a, like an internal phoenix, right? You can be you can be reborn again in this, into your greatest self. If that makes any sense, uh, um, overstate how much value there is in believing in yourself and believing in other people, believing in the people around you. Uh, Christopher mentioned it. Um, it, it. Chris Floyd believed in him. His parents believed in him, uh, even though they may not have agreed with his decision initially. It certainly sounds like they believed in him to to make something of his life and. And he certainly is. Um, one question I like to ask uh, people who've kind of gone through this this transformational process is, what would you say um, your biggest failure, um, you know, your biggest mistake was, and then um, your biggest success? The wrong, being preoccupied with the wrong priorities, like kind of generally, and I know it's very broad, but that you know there there are times like during this journey, there have been times when I you know I was chasing the wrong thing, mm-hmm. like just explicitly chasing the wrong thing right and it's hard to know when that is but and it was doing it was doing it was doing way more harm than good you know, way more harm, more harm to me as an individual and to my relationships with other people so definitely my, I, I wish I could pinpoint and say one thing but it's kind of a general theme like that is my biggest mistake and I just have to always be cognizant not to fall into that trap my biggest accomplishment and I don't recommend everyone doing it just kind of to emphasize that but you know, my, my biggest accomplishment was dropping out of high school. And, you know, as strange as that sound, because when I did, you know, everyone everyone told me. Everyone, every single person that I had mentioned it, you know, they gave me that, oh, wow, well, you know, there's always community college or you can always just get a job. Like, I always got that reaction. And everyone, you know, that my prospects in life kind of dwindled to almost nothing. And it's strange to say, but as, as confounding as that may sound, that was my biggest accomplishment because that was the right thing for me. You know, it was the right thing for me because I wouldn't have been—I wouldn't have been who I am today at all if I had stayed in high school. That's powerful, and, and just to uh, just want to just to end on these last two two points. Um, I know you touched on it a bit, um, but just just conclude. when you were kind of in that period, those those first few months after dropping out, um, what were you kind of like internally feeling? I know there's probably a lot of stress uh, from your from you know just parents and family talking about it, people telling you, you should do this or that. What um what were you feeling and how, what kept you believing in yourself that you made a good decision uh, even you know during that period you were playing video games and um you know what, what what really drove you forward then and then secondly I know you touched on it before your why but what what drives you forward now right um so the way I think 
I think the prevailing um, the prevailing feeling, if you will, that I had back then was liberation. You know, and petulant liberation, like because I, you know, it was, it was for the wrong reasons in the beginning anyway to play video games and you know to kind of do my own thing and not do anything hard. But it was liberation. Like I felt free. I felt free from the confines of having to you know constantly. Um, worry about what I'm going to say or what friends I'm going to try to make or who I'm going to run into in school and kind of free from those social dynamics, free from this curriculum that I didn't think that was serving me and free from the confines of a building that I thought were a prison, right? Um, and again, that's not for everyone, but for me, that was, that was what it was. And what drives me now is I have this personal philosophy about, again, lifting something heavy. That's kind of, you know, I've really now kind of tied my tied my life to this goal, right, to this mission, like my life's mission. Um, and my 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 mission now, look, that, that is kind of what drives me up, that gets me up every single day, is to kind of transform the chaos, right, into something orderly, right? Not And not just orderly, but to transform it into something that overall tilts the world to, towards the good. A fantastic story, and once again, thanks so much to Christopher St. Hilaire for joining us. Thank you all for coming to listen. Uh, please subscribe, please download, um, please share it if you enjoyed it. And uh, until next time, love y'all.